Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast, and thanks for joining us. We hope this encourages you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective on how God is actively moving in your life. Enjoy the message. How many ministers do I have in the house this morning? Let me see how many ministers do I have. All right, some of y'all weren't here last week. I understand. I understand. I understand. So let me just cut to the chase. Everyone is a minister. There's some people that have been called to serve in church leadership. But every one of us is a minister of reconciliation. We all, if you've been saved, you have the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. Let me put it to you another way. Resurrection power lives inside of you. It dwells inside of you. So for you to not truly believe that you're a minister means that you're not fully yet identifying with the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone is a minister. Last week, we, we were in Ephesians 4, and, and I want to read two verses from Ephesians 4. If you can turn there, I don't think I, I don't know if I gave it to them. Did I? Oh, man, it's shocking. Um, in verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. So this was the end of a passage that we broke down verse by verse. Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, just Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part, and that's us, is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. love. Jesus is the head of the church. None of the pastors here are the head of the church. This is not my church, your church, or our church. This is his church. Now, your local pastors have been, your, your, is, is God's delegated authority to this body of believers. But make no mistake, he is the head of this church. And I say all this to say this. He's the head, we are the body, and if we are going to be the body, I want you to get a visual representation of this. I almost got on to make a graphic, but I didn't think, I was sitting there thinking that would just look kind of weird. But I want you to imagine Christ as the head, and we're the body affixed to him. The body should do what the head tells it to do. And when it doesn't, there is a problem. When the head believes one way and acts one way, and the body's going the other direction, we actually have a separation, and that is not good. How many of you follow me? Last week, we discussed the imperative for unity in the church. To be the church, we must have unity, but unity does not mean uniformity. It does not mean that we all believe the same way on every single tiny little thing. What we need to agree on is this, is that Christ is the head of the church, and it's in his name and only in his name by which we are saved. And we are all willing to fully submit ourselves to every single piece of scripture, even if that means that we have to change our lifestyle. Even if that means that we have to change our lifestyle. We are all ministers and we all have gifts. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you have a gift. Now point to yourself and say, I have a gift. 
Now we need all these gifts in working in order for the church to be a mature representation of Christ to our homes, to our community, and to the world. So what does it look like when we are representing Christ to truly be his body, to be his hands and his feet? What does it look like? Well, Jesus told us in Luke 4, anybody heard the expression, drop the mic? Well, the mic gets dropped right here. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go through it. In verse 16, Jesus comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up, where he was raised. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Just a thought. Being the church outside the walls is important. But Jesus, as was his custom, attended the synagogue on the appointed day. If we are going to be the hands and the feet and do what he did, shouldn't we participate in the same kind of things he participated in? Church attendance, being together with the body of the believers, being a part of your group, doing life with the people that you serve the community with, it's significant. It's important to be there. And when you're not going to be there, it's important to let somebody know. Everybody with me here? All right. So he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. Now their custom was that they would stand up to read scripture and they would sit down to teach. I'm about to bring, we're about to bring that back at Bethel Church. All right, you're gonna get a lazy preacher up here in the pulpit. And he read this, he said, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. So it was a, it was a scroll with the book of Isaiah written on it. Now, for those of you who don't know, Jesus was the word that became flesh. He didn't need that scroll. I just love that. I don't know why. What does it mean for me and you? It don't mean nothing, I don't think, other than it's just really cool. No, I think what it is is he was setting an example. He was actually the word became flesh, and still yet, he still opened the scroll. How much, how much more? How much more? So he opens the scroll to Isaiah. He knows right where he's going in Isaiah. And then he gives us the definition of what it means to really truly be the church. This is Jesus's mission statement. He says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now that last part, a lot of people are like, well, I got to get all of the rest of it, but what in the world does that mean? Well, at that point in time, they were in the middle of the year of Jubilee. That was the year when all debts were canceled and it was it not done by the government, it was done by God. So he was there, and he was announcing what he was going to be doing. Anybody would love to have all your debts canceled? Amen. Well, quit spending so much. Get a budget, and you can do it. Praise the Lord. And he, that was free. And he rolled up the scroll. This is his mic drop. He just, he just stands up. He reads it, rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, and then sits down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today, 
this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want to propose to you this morning that when the body of Christ walks into the room, these scriptures should be being fulfilled. There are two great mistakes. I'm not going to preach long because we've got something else in store for you at the very end of the message. There are two great mistakes in interpreting this passage, and I want to share them with you because I know what's going to happen because we're going to be talking about this a lot over the next several years. And what's going to happen is I know some of you, you listen to other podcasts and you listen to the heretic hunters whose whole purpose in life is to find somebody, take them out of context, and then bash them. And I want to encourage you, we don't, you don't need to be filling yourself full of that mess. It's not good. When you're more for what you're against than what you're for. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Like, let's get zoned in on what, what our purpose is on this earth, not what our purpose is not. Two great mistakes of interpreting this passage are, are this. They are those who completely despiritualize this. Their key words that they jump on are poverty, captive, oppressed, and blind. Now, this has been the theme of many politicians, activists, and influencers. Because we can lift people out of poverty and bring them into the middle class. But if just like the church of Laodicea, if they're still poor in spirit, we're going to take people from poverty to middle class and they're still going to go to hell. We can minister to the physical ailments and diseases of people, but if we don't give them the, the greatest upstream issue, and that is the need for a Savior, then we're going to send well people that maybe live until they're 89 or 90 in complete health, and they're going to split hell wide open. We can walk people out of addictions, alcoholism, pornography habits, eating disorders, codependency. But if they aren't introduced to their need for a savior, then we're going to send sober people straight to hell. We can fight for those that are being oppressed and we should. In case you didn't know, segregation, and we're going to keep saying it, it wasn't that long ago. To think that we're still not battling with the effects of the sins of this nation is foolish. But if we make this verse solely about lifting people out of oppression, then what we do is we end up attacking and addressing that in non-biblical ways that don't bind the body of Christ together in love. It don't mean we get soft on truth. But the heart of the truth, the more love we need to go with it. Y'all with me this morning? God is concerned with the whole of man. The second great mistake we make in interpreting this is that while some of us are, are, are prone to despiritualize this, there are some of us that completely spiritualize this. That we believe that this mis great mission statement is only meant in a spiritual sense. But what I said is God is concerned with the whole of man. We actually see this 
in the greatest commandment that Christ ever gave to love the Lord your God with all your everything. Let's sum it up. Not just spiritually, but mentally and physically. He wants men and women to be whole. We also see this in Jesus' life on earth and how his life plays out. He preached the word, some of you would say, he gave some good grocery. (laughs) He preached the word, but he also stopped and gave them real bread and fish. He healed Spiritual blindness showed things to people they had never seen about themselves, but yet he also healed their physical sight. He saved a woman from her sins, but he first saved her from the oppression of a legalistic male-dominated society. She was about to be physically killed, and he stepped in to save her from a physical death so that he could give her a greater truth. He was more concerned about Peter's soul, but he still put 153 large fish in his net. We're wrong to go one way or the other. It's both. The spiritual is the ultimate, but the temporal, the physical, the mental, the social, the emotional, the economical is the context in which we do ministry. I want to say that again. The spiritual implications of this verse are the ultimate. The other stuff is the context in which we do ministry. You can give the gospel to a hungry person, but literally just giving them a sandwich will increase their attention span. Giving them, giving them a cold drink, it, 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 it takes your words And they become actions. And before you even say, I love you, you're showing I love you. How many of you hear what I'm saying this morning? So before we get to uh, hacking this verse apart and this message apart, I want to tell you is that this has implications on both sides. A church that just ministers to the needs of this life is no longer a church. It's just a humanitarian organization. And a church that ignores the needs of the here and now completely ignores what Christ did while he was on this earth, what he taught, and what was prophesied about him. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. As we're getting ready, um, on September 3rd, we'll have our first Recovery, Le- recovery Alive meeting. How many of y'all are excited? I'm so excited. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hear Julie's story. I've heard a lot more testimonies. I see Rich and Beth Cedarman, if y'all wave at everybody. Y'all see them a lot over the next few weeks. They're going to be leading this, this amazing ministry. But part of what we're going to be doing in this ministry is we're going to be proclaiming good news to the poor. And, and we've been anointed to do it. 
Because if he spoke that the anointing was on his life and he's the head, when you go into the Old Testament and you see what happens when someone was actually physically anointed with oil, it was poured on the head and then it drizzled down and it covered the rest of the body. You are a minister and you have gifts that God wants to use so that you can represent the head. And when we start this recovery alive, there's going to be a lot of proclaiming good news to the poor that they do not have to live this way anymore. Amen. Now, once again, keeping with what I said at the very beginning, we do know that this is, this is speaking to being poor in spirit. Yes, there are those that they, they have all the riches in the world, but, but like the Laodicean church, if you know what I'm talking about at the beginning of Revelations, they, they, were, they were poor and they didn't even know it. But we see in the life of Jesus that Jesus had a leaning. He had, a, he had a, an inclination to go after the underdog. Because the poor in this area, they were not just poor, but they were also outcast. Why does it not say to minister to the rich? Because sin and the overarching effects of sin, they cause us to dehumanize those who struggle with poverty. So what do we do? We put them on the fringes of town and try our best to not mingle with them at all. No one has to be told to take good news to the middle class or to the rich. But we have to be instructed and demanded, hey, it's for them too. It's for Samaria as well. And better than that, spiritually, you were one of them before you met Jesus. We're just talking about physical poverty. To be sure, you can look past somebody's economic class to proclaim good news to them. Then he says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, this is true in a spiritual sense. He's, he, we have been sent to proclaim liberty to those that are underneath the captivity of sin. But there is a captivity that comes from sin that extends beyond even our spirit man. When we talk about sin killing, it doesn't just kill us eternally, separating us from God. It kills us spiritually by keeping us from being able to experience the presence of God on this earth. But it also crushes people physically. The sins that we commit in this world, they do have a physical bearing. You heard Julie speaking about it in her testimony. What the effects of sin and how they affected her life. Jesus, when he showed up on the scene, he said he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. So when we launched this Recovery Alive deal... This is not a program. It's a movement. It's a shift. We're going to be proclaiming liberty to the captives, letting people know that, yeah, first and foremost, even if you're struggling with a physical addiction, if you're struggling with a physical, with a mental habit, that, that 
that the, the number one issue that we have is that your soul needs to be set free. But we care. We care. Everybody say we care. We care about the physical consequences and the effects of sin. We don't want to just see people saved. We want to see people set free. Do y'all understand the difference? I remember speaking about our founding pastor and Pastor Steve and Miss Sharon and the whole Holder family that we used to have... Uh, we, I would call it a deliverance service. Anybody know anything about that? Let me see. And it was, you know you've been saved, but you're sick and tired of dealing with the same mess that you've been dealing with. And I can remember getting in a long line. Y'all ready for this? I'm on live. I'm just, I'm just going to share it anyways. Y'all ready for this? I remember being in one of those services one time. And, oh, God. It's hard to argue with somebody who's had an experience. And when it's backed up with Scripture, don't even try. But I came up, I was struggling with just a lot of, like, rebellion towards my parents. I stayed in detention all through middle school. I was, I was on the leaderboard for demerits at Wayne Christian. I averaged 1.3 a day. For some of you parents out there, that, that was your prophetic word. Some of you are about to pass out right now. You're like, oh God, there's hope for my child. There's hope for my child. No, not if he turns out like me. There's not, okay. But look, I was up here and I, I was coming to be prayed for for, for that, because I was just angry. We had grew up in, a, in, a, in a, this neighborhood, and I went, went to this school, and all in one year, my mom and dad moved us from one neighborhood clear across the county, and then sent me to a Christian private school. And I had these, this little complex where I thought everybody there was rich, and I saw myself as poor, and I was mad all the time. Anybody identify what I'm saying? So I stayed in trouble during middle school. I literally got grounded one time for three nine-weeks periods. <laughs> and when we got grounded, when we got grounded, it was like grounded, grounded. There was no TV. My preaching ain't even relevant anymore, Pastor Steve. I'm already outdated. <laughs> when we got grounded, it was no TV. No telephone, which we didn't have a cell phone then. So you couldn't sneak it. I wouldn't have had a cell phone then. I would have been doing things with it I shouldn't have done. I couldn't play with my friends in the neighborhood. The only thing that I could do was study homework. I never got grounded from church. Now, I'm not playing. Now, I know it's funny, but look, even if the church was going to do something fun, mom and dad said, you can be grounded from everything else, but your butt will be at every single church gathering. Yeah. We're going skiing. I'm like, I'm grounded. And they're like, yeah, but you, it's the church. You're going with the church. But I was grounded from everything else. And my mom, one time, I, I told her that I was bored because of being grounded. And she said, well, go pick up the gumballs in the back of the yard. Y'all know those little trees that drop gumballs? And I was like, fine, I'll go do it. I don't need y'all. 
So I go in the utility room, I grab a rake, and she said, what are you doing? You don't need us. You can't use my rake. You can pick them all up by hand. <laughs> that ain't a preacher story. That's real talk, y'all. That really happened. I still got issues with my lower back because of it. <laughs> but I remember going through that phase of my life, and I, I, was, I was in a service and that was the thing. It was like, you know what? You're saved. You know your sins have been covered, but you still smell like it. You're still, your sins have been covered. You have been imputed the righteousness of God. And when God looks down at you, he sees that your sins have been covered. But under that covering, you're still battling with the consequences and the effects of still living in the flesh. So I go up there to be prayed for, and the man praying for me puts hands on me, and he looks straight at me, and he says these words. He says, you've been playing a video game that is obsessed with death. In fact, you run around shooting zombies the whole time the video game is based off of fear. The Spirit of the Lord is telling me, turn it off and you'll be set free. And I sat there and was just like. Because for those of you who know anything about games, that was when that whole Resident Evil series of video games had come out. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Son, I trashed that mess real fast. Didn't struggle with it as bad. <laughs> For a really long time. I just need you to know this. Yes, God has saved you from your sin, but he wants to set you free from it. He even wants your flesh to be delivered from it. We don't have to wake up every morning and have a sad sack story. We can live in victory. Y'all hearing what I'm saying? And Jesus proclaimed this. And so as we go through and we start launching this Recovery Alive movement, I want everyone to know that we're not just going to be proclaiming the good news of salvation. We're going to be proclaiming the good news that you can be set free and you don't have to live in captivity. It's not, oh, I'm just passing through from this life to the next and I'm just hoping I can get through. No, people are going to be set free and recovering of sight to the blind. Yes, spiritual blindness, but also physical disease. I truly believe that many of you have been called ministers in the medical field and God is using your hands to help people be healed from physical illnesses. If you look deeper, I want you for just one moment to ponder what it would be like to live in a world that was not living underneath the curse of sin. What would be different in your life right now? I say all that for, for a reason, because I wanna give you a deep theological foundation for believing that we should be concerned with the needs of people in the here and now. If you ponder what life was like on this earth before the curse, and if you read scripture and what it has to say about heaven in the end time, some of us in our minds in heaven, we're caught up on that, that temporary heaven up there somewhere. But heaven is coming down to earth. And it's not just going to be you that's resurrected. It's going to be the earth that is resurrected as well. And it's going to be a perfect earth 
without the curse of sin. So people aren't going to struggle with, with addictions. They're not gonna struggle with pornography habits. For those of you who like to garden, there's not gonna be weeds and there's not gonna be thorns and thistles on the new earth. You better say amen right now. My fingers are hurting from it. But if that's the, the end goal for Christ, to come back and not just redeem us, to, to redeem this earth and to set up his kingdom on this earth. We know that that is his best for us, so we should be concerned as well and, and declare that that is the best for God's people. And then he says, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Yes, this world is oppressed by sin, but how far does that go? All the evil in this world is the direct result of sin. So when Jesus talks about setting people at liberty, he was talking about saving, but he was also talking about helping people with not just the eternal weight of sin, but, but the physical and the temporal consequences of sin. Now, we do care about the things that are weighing you down. And we should care about the things that are weighing people down. But remember this, the ultimate goal is what? The spiritual. But the here and now is the context in which we are ministering. And that's why we're going to put a lot of effort and a lot of resources into launching the Recovery Alive movement at Bethel Church. Amen. And we've been announcing it for a really long time. I've been sharing, we've been sharing with you guys. How many of you knew about it already? Wave at me real fast. Let me see. Yep. We always joke around that we, uh, we, can, we can say something from the pulpit, put it on the screen, put it on social media, send you out an email, tell all the ministry leaders, tell people, and there'll still be five or 10 people that walk in the door to say, I had no clue if I had known. And then we always wanna say, if you had listened. <laughs> I'm just joking. Then he says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of Jubilee where all debts were forgiven. We are concerned with the eternal destination of everyone. But as the body of Christ, we should also be concerned about the temporal plight of humanity and of each other. I want you to know this. The spiritual is it's the ultimate destination. When we're helping people through Recovery Alive, the greatest way to recover, the, the, the number one thing that we want to see people recovered from is sin and being separated from God. Life comes from having our sins covered by the blood of Jesus, by confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died and that he came back to life. That's the most significant, important thing. But we can't ignore the context in which we live. And that's to see people set free and delivered from poverty, from the effects of sin on their life, from the effects of, of their parents' sin on their life, from the effects of society's sin on their life, to see the, the, those that are at liberty, uh, uh, that are being held captive, set free, to see the oppressed set free, to see the blind see again, and to see those who are in poverty lifted out of that. And that is the context in which we do ministry, and that's the context in which we're gonna be doing 
ministry through the Recovery Alive movement here at Bethel Church. We believe in, in the power of God to set people free. Um, I believe that God can instantaneously set people free. But even when you look in Scripture, you see um, there, there's a prescribed method for, for being sanctified, for sustained deliverance. And it, is, it was called discipleship. Jesus poured his heart and his life into some men. Some of them struggle with pride. You can read, read their stories. Read them at face value. The disciples needed a lot of deliverance. One of them had anger issues. I mean, he was cutting people's ears off. Read it at face value. He got mad at Jesus one time and told him, you're not dying on the cross. Read it at face value. And um, using all these things that scripture gives us, that's what Recovery Alive is, is gonna be. And so there are two types of people I wanna talk to really fast. There are those of you who are, are thinking to yourself, whoa, this sounds like something that I would like to go through. This is something I would like to be a part of. So you know our vision statement is strengthen the home, change the community, and reach the world, right? And it goes home, community, world, right? Now we would be tempted to believe that man, this is gonna be a great outreach, Brother Rich. It will be. It's gonna be really good outreach for all those people that are walking the streets and they just really need help. Right? And it will be, won't it? Yeah. But um, I have a feeling that the recovery is going to start right here with us. And not only are we going to be the participants and those being ministered to, but then you're going to turn and become the ministers. So part of the training process for this is to actually go through a step um, study. You guys call them, pro we call them process groups. It's to go through a process group. And so if you sign up to serve, depending on what capacity you decide to serve in, um, you're gonna need to go through one of these process groups. And not only will it be prepping you to minister to others, but it will be giving you the tools that you need to grow and develop. So how many ministers do I have in the house? Let me see. All right, so stand up with me. We'll do something a little bit different. I say that a lot, Lisa. And I'll be saying we're going to do something a little different. Um, so this is what we're going to do. You guys ready? Now, I fully, we fully understand that there are some of you, you're already serving in places where you're making a difference and you're, you're making a change. And if you look at your schedule, you're seeing that you're prioritizing God, you're prioritizing His people, you're prioritizing your relationship with the Lord, you're prioritizing your family, you're, you've got your priorities in line. We're not really talking to you. We know though that there are hundreds of people in this church who have been called to the ministry of recovery that, that are not necessarily using their gift, the gift that God, they're serving in some other areas and they're doing a great job, but what they've really been called to do is not being utilized. I wanna ask you this real quick. How many of you are here this morning and you know 
that this is something that you want to serve in. Slip your hand up real high. High, high, high. Get them up high. I need to see them high. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you ministers of recovery to come on down to the altar right here. And as a church, we're going to pray for you. Come on, come on. If you raise your hand, just come out. Yeah, come on. Praise God. Now, here's, here's the lie the enemy is going to give you. He's going to tell you you're not qualified. Is he telling anybody that already? I mean, you're not qualified. You still got struggles on your own. And what you're going to tell the enemy is this. You're right. I'm not. But God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Part of your healing, part of your recovery is going to be opening up that outlet of ministry into other people's lives. And if you're thinking right now that's, that's something I could never do, that's the enemy fighting you over time because the Spirit of God is calling you. I'm going to give anybody else a chance to make their way down here. You feel like the Spirit is, is drawing you to serve. Okay, we're going to tell you one thing to do practically at the end of the service. At the end of the service, when you go out those doors, look to the right. There is a, there's a sheet that we want, Beth and Rich will be there. We want you to sign up there, get your information to them. Now this is gonna require that you change some things in your schedule. Because one of the models we're gonna have is, they say, are you guys having Recovery Alive this Friday night? And what are you gonna tell them? Every Friday night till Jesus comes back. <laughs> but what if, but what if, uh, Friday night falls on December 25th. What do you say to him? We'll celebrate his birthday together. Recovery lives. All right. All right. And, and what if it happens on, on another holiday? It's still every Friday night until Jesus comes back. And um, so I want you guys, when you leave, practically go out and look to the right and sign up. And, then, and so what we're going to do now is I want everybody to stretch their hands towards everyone that's up here. This is how we're going to end the service today. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to empower these ministers that are up here this morning. God, I thank you for every single person that has come up here and has declared that they, they want to serve. They know their gifting set is, is going to allow them to minister to those who are struggling with, uh, with struggles. So God, we speak life. I pray that you would anoint every single person. Come on, pray with me, church. We pray that you would anoint every person up here. Give them a special anointing. I pray that the anointing on their life would be so significant. It would be so special. They'd be so called apart that when those that are struggling come into their presence, that they literally feel the presence of the living God. I pray that you'd begin loosening their mouths. God, I pray that you would give them the words to say. God, help them to start overcoming. God, anything that they need to overcome, I pray that you'd give them God confidence. And we speak life into every minister that's up here. And we, we say that Recovery Alive is going to see thousands of men and women set free. Come on, I want you to put your faith with mine on that. It's going to see thousands of men and women set free from, from the eternal effects of sin, but also the bondage and the captivity that sin has in this life. God, we thank you for every person here. We ask you to anoint them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
We hope that you have been encouraged today. And if you're looking for more information about who we are as a church, you can visit us online at BethelChurch.info. Be sure to join us again next week as we continue to grow together in God's word. 